0: Gracious God, I just want to thank you for the gift of family. Thank you for our natural families that you've put us with, that you've connected us with, but also thank you for our church family. Lord, I I just honor you for how you called us together from all different nations and tribes and languages and brought us together in this place at this time so that together we might bring you honor and praise. Lord, as we come to you today, before we read your word, we, we do continue to pray for our nation in this whole Brexit crisis that it's going through. We ask for your mercy to be upon our nation. We ask for godly solutions to this whole situation and uh, that the outcome <clears throat> would be best for us. Lord, I pray for your mercy upon the United Kingdom. And we pray for your mercy upon London. We pray, Lord, for the seven and a half million people around us right now who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we pray that you give us new strategies and new energy to reach out into these communities all around us to see many people saved and coming to a knowledge of the truth. We long for that to happen, Lord, and we long for you to make us the people that you desire us to be fully in love with you and fully aligned with you and your purposes for us. And to that end, Lord, we go to your word now. I pray that you'd open it up to us. I pray that you'd help us to understand more and more uh, this mystery of faith and make it not so much a mystery to us, but something that we live in moment by moment, consciously every single day uh, to your glory and praise. And I pray, Father God, that your Holy Spirit would rest on me so I can bring your word to your people this day through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Habakkuk, that's there in the Old Testament, if you're following along. We're going to read chapter 2, the first four verses. Habakkuk writes here. Now, in, in, in the context... Habakkuk has just come to the Lord and he's made two big complaints to the Lord. You know, he said, God, what's going on here? I don't see this. I don't understand this. Uh, what is going on? I'm making a complaint. I'm complaining because I don't think the situation is right. And so here he goes. He says, I will take my, uh, take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he, that is God, will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint and the Lord answered me write the vision make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it for the vision still awaits its appointed time it hastens to the end it will not lie if it seems slow wait for it it will surely come it will not delay behold his soul is puffed up it is not upright within him But the righteous shall live by his faith. And then over to Romans chapter 1. We start with verse 8. Paul writes and he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also, who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by his faith. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, throughout the remainder of the series, did we get the definition of faith? I was wondering if we got... Yep, okay. So, with, throughout the remainder of the series, rather than me always uh, repeating this definition of faith, I, I, I thought, well, maybe we could put it up here. Actually, it was Karen's thought. I, do, I don't want to take credit for that. It was Karen's thought that we should put it up. So, what is Christian faith? Christian faith is choosing to trust and act, often beyond our natural abilities, based on a true knowledge of God and God's ways, founded on a relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. In the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we're talking about faith as Christians, we're talking about this choice to choosing to trust and act based on a relationship with God. Everybody operates by faith. Everybody lives by faith. We've been talking about this. The scientist has faith in science. The scientist chooses to trust and act based on his understanding of science. The problem is that other forms of faith are limited. There's only one genuine biblical kind of faith, and that's Christian faith. Now, we can, as Christians, we can be scientists, and we can exercise faith, but as Christians, we understand that the reason why science works is because God's created the world, and he's created this situation. And so, so we're talking about faith here, and uh, it's been interesting to me so far. Uh, God has started this whole series out a lot differently than I anticipated so it's, I'm curious to see where it's going to go. Uh, I'm kind of like you. I'm living this uh, a bit week by week. I know the directions, the different things that God's been saying. Uh, and uh, so it's been curious to see what God is going to do. But one of the biggest challenges we face as Christians, and it's an issue <clears throat> that comes up a lot uh, time and time again, is what happens if we are choosing to trust and to act based on a true knowledge of God and nothing seems to happen what's going on in those situations I mean Habakkuk was in this kind of situation here he is uh, the, uh, <clears throat> uh, Israel had fallen to the Assyrians uh, there was real devastation there uh, he's prophesying that God's going to raise up the Chaldeans or the Babylonians to take out the Assyrians which they do uh, about 50 years or so after uh, after this prophecy is written, uh, what he prophesies comes to pass. But here's Habakkuk, and he's saying, "Okay, God, how long are you going to let wicked people get the upper hand? How long are you going to let this world be in such a mess?" If he was living today in England, he'd say, "God, how long before we solve Brexit? You know, how long before we get the Parliament that we really want?" You know How long before righteousness comes back? And so he's struggling. And and interestingly, he's giving us an example here that's really important. Uh, We are told as Christians not to complain about one another, and that's true. We're not to complain about one another. If you come to me and you want to give me a complaint about somebody else, I don't want to hear it. If you've got an issue with the person, you need to take it to the person and resolve it. And if you can't resolve it, then come to me together and we'll work on it together. But none of this complaining about each other behind one another's backs and things like that. And I'm thankful that we don't do much of that here at church. Yeah, we do some, but not much. And I'm really thankful for that, okay? So we're not to complain about one another. But you know what? We can take complaints about our situation to God. I've known a lot of Christians who think, oh, no, no. You know, I, I can't complain to God. I just need to be nice. I need to be quiet, you know, and, and just let God do what he wants to do. Do you know that that's a fatalistic approach to God that does not honor God? It's not a faith-filled approach because it doesn't have a true knowledge of God and God's ways. Now, this idea that somehow we can't complain to God, this idea that somehow we can't challenge God because of what's going on, that's not biblical, that goes along with some other religions. That's more of a kind of an Islamic notion of who God is. It's not a Christian notion of who God is. God has, we have a history here in the, in the book of people taking their complaint directly to God, saying, God, what in the world are you doing here? And that's what, that's what Habakkuk's doing. He says, what are you doing here? And this is a man of faith that's doing that he's challenging God. He's questioning God. He's saying, what's going on? And kind of like a a petulant child almost, he says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take my stand. And come on, God, I dare you. Speak to me. Speak to me, baby. I'm listening for you. I'm taking my stand. It's a good thing he didn't hold his breath, you know, because God can always outlast us on that test. So he, what, is, what is he doing? When he takes his stand, when he gets up on the watchtower, what is the watchtower? It's the place of prayer for him. So as a prophet, he's got to pray, and he's got to see, and so he's taking a position so he can hear from God. His attitude is not, well, God, I'm going to complain, and now I'm going to go and run away and not listen to you. His attitude here is, I'm complaining, and I'm here, and I'm going to wait until you respond to me. And the Lord gives them a response. And the Lord here, you know, he tells them, he tells him, now, you need to write what I'm going to say down. Write it down. Now, why is that? So you can run with it. You can run with it. If, if, you, if you really want to have good directions, you know, you, you're going to run a race, you need to get those directions as solidly in your mind as you can. You don't want to be kind of fiddling around and you're running the race and say, okay, was I supposed to turn right here or was I supposed to turn left? Always important to write down what God says, and that's the challenge here. Write it down so you can run with it and be encouraged because it's not going to delay. The answer is going to come in the right time. You just need to wait for the appointed time, and the appointed time is not here yet. So he's given us some encouragements here about how we deal with these complaints that we're taking before God. And then he goes on and he talks about the one who is puffed up, who's not upright within him. And he's talking about the person here that thinks they know their own way. So he's contrasting, I've seen this with a lot of Christians who say, well, okay, God hasn't said anything, he's not doing anything, so I'm just going to do it myself. I'm going to use my ideas and I'm going to go my way and I'm going to choose my preferences and to heck with this God stuff, I'm going to live my life whatever way I want to live my life. It might be the the person that's longing for a spouse and they're not getting the spouse they're longing for so they say, okay, I'm going to sleep around until I find the right one. They're doing it their own way. And that's pride and that's being puffed up and they're not going to hear from the Lord. But then there's the encouragement here that the righteous shall live by faith. So in other words, this whole faith of waiting on the Lord, of looking for the Lord, that we need to live in this way if we are to be righteous before the Lord, if we are to be in right relationship with God, we can only live by faith. We have to live by faith. Very powerful statement. You can't live your own way, you have to live God's way, and the only way you live God's way is if you're living by faith, if you're walking by faith. That's God's way, not your own way. But how do we do that? I mean, that's the big question. How do the righteous live by faith? By the way, it's quoted three times in the New Testament, in Galatians and Hebrews, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, and here in Romans. How do we live by faith? How do the righteous live by faith? Well, I think that Paul gives us some clues to this in the passage that we read from Romans. And it's essential for us to understand this, especially when we are waiting for an answer from God. Is there anybody here that has has every promise over your life that God has spoken has been completely fulfilled already? I didn't think there would be. There are promises in my life that aren't fulfilled yet. There are things we've been praying for for a decade that still haven't come to pass. And we're looking for this. And we're longing for this. And so the question is, how in the world do we sustain our life in God while we're waiting for the promises to come to pass? While we're waiting for the things that God has promised us to be fulfilled, some of which won't be fulfilled until the second coming of Jesus. So how do we live this? How do we live in that reality? How do we live with that tension? How do we live with people looking at us and saying, you don't know what you're talking about. This God of yours, he's not answered you. How do you live with the discouragement and sometimes a sense of depression or despair? You know, is God there? Is God going to respond to me? Is God going to, to, does God love me? How do you live with that? The only way you can live it is by faith, by faith, and Paul gives us some ideas about how. So let's look at that passage in Romans and see a little bit about what Paul says. And uh, I want to just summarize these things. I'm not going to do an uh, exposition of the passage itself, a verse-by-verse exposition, but I want to bring out a few points from the passage in this. Number one, I think Paul would encourage us or challenge us to celebrate the global reality of our faith we need to celebrate the global reality of our faith now he tells the Romans he says hey guys your faith is proclaimed in all the world and one of the things you see with Paul is he will say a lot of things that have more than one possible meaning and Paul when he does that he almost always does that intentionally he, he, he gives a lot of what we'd call double entendres, only in a, in a healthy, godly kind of sense. So first, in the plain meaning of this, is that the faith of the Romans is talked about in the rest of the Christian world. So in other words, people knew about the church in Rome. They were talking about the church in Rome. They were talking about the people living by faith there in Rome. But also, when he says, your faith is proclaimed in all the world, What he's also saying is that the faith that we have in Jesus Christ is the same faith that is being proclaimed everywhere around the world. In other words, today, around the globe, there are more than a billion people, more than a billion people in various places around the globe proclaiming Jesus Christ. More than a billion people are gathering in groups just like this. Some bigger, some smaller, but we are part of a more than a, a billion person movement. I, I don't know exactly how many Christians there are. there are, about three or four billion in the world right now. So, But I'm being conservative, I don't like to expand things. So let's say we're part of a movement that includes more than a billion people who right now are gathering together to honor Jesus. That's the faith that's proclaimed in the whole world and I tell you, there are times when I feel discouraged. There are times when I look at this country and I say, you know, I, we had a saying in the States, something's going to hell in a handbasket. you know. And sometimes I look at the country and I say, gosh, the country's going to hell in a handbasket. Europe's going to hell in a handbasket. What are we going to do? And, and you want to get discouraged and, and depressed. But then I realize that the movement of Jesus hasn't stopped that all around the globe, millions of people every year are turning to Christ for salvation. Millions of people every year are walking more closely with Jesus. Millions of people every year in all kinds of walks of life, in all kinds of places, are following Jesus Christ. And that faith is proclaimed around the world, and I celebrate that, and that's part of the key to living by faith. If we're going to live by faith, we have to realize that our faith is not our personal faith. You know, I, I don't really talk a lot about G- Jesus being my personal Lord and Savior. You know, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but he's our Lord and Savior. He's the Lord and Savior of several billion people right now. It's not just my personal Savior. And I celebrate that reality. And celebrating that reality, that faith that's proclaimed, is one of the things that helps me and keeps me going. Then Paul is talking here. He wants to see the Romans. And the reason why he wants to see the Romans, and this is the second key if we're going to live by faith, he wants to see the Romans so that they can encourage one another's faith. They can encourage one another's faith. He says, I want to come to you so I can give you some spiritual gift, I can impart some spiritual gift to you, but actually what I want is that we be mutually encouraged by our mutual faith. One of our responsibilities in the body of Christ is to encourage one another's faith. That's why we need to come together as the body of Christ. There is no such thing as solo Christianity. We have to be gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ, and we have a responsibility to be mutually encouraged by one another's faith. How do we do that? We do that as we share spiritual gifts with one another. We're going to be talking today, I think, about uh, word of knowledge uh, and how to, to receive that gift from the Lord so we can use it to bless one another. You know, every spiritual gift that you receive is not for you. A spiritual gift is a gift that we receive so we can give it. It's not something that we receive so we keep it. And so we share spiritual gifts with one another. That's, that's one of the ways we encourage one another's faith. Another way that we can encourage one another's faith is that we pray for one another. Paul says to the Corinthians, uh, to the Romans, hey, I'm, I'm always praying for you. And we need to be continually praying for one another. I need your prayers, and I pray for you. It's absolutely essential for us. Another way that we encourage one another's faith is choosing to spend time together. Choosing to spend time together. Very important way that we encourage one another's faith. And you know what? You don't always have to be spending time together doing religious stuff. I was really encouraged yesterday... Uh, Noel had his birthday party yesterday uh, up in the community. Uh, it's lots of birthdays around here because Margarita had a birthday yesterday. Uh, and it's just amazing. Uh, but, uh, but I was graciously invited to come up and it was really fun. We got to sit around and we got to eat food. And, and I like Noel's style of birthday except for my birthday. It won't happen on my birthday, but everybody else's birthday, it sounds good. Noel cooked for everybody. And it was really good food. But you know what? Most of the time, we didn't spend sitting around talking about religious stuff. Most of the time, we just sat and shared life together. And then there was a moment where we had an opportunity to share you know, Christian stuff and, and encourage one another. In other words, just spending time together with people of faith will encourage your faith. And if you're not choosing, and this won't happen naturally... There, there's a lie, that is a lie of the devil, that says if you've got a decent relationship, it's going to happen naturally, that you don't have to work for it. Now, Karen and I, we've been married for 33 years, but there'll be times when somebody tells me something that I forget to tell with, to Karen, even though we're in the same, even though we live in the same house, because of all the stuff going on in our lives. She and I have to intentionally choose time together. And we have to intentionally choose time together. And don't think that people are going to invite you. You need to invite them. And don't be disappointed when you invite them once and they don't respond. I mean, sometimes I want to tell people, get over yourself. You know, just because they haven't responded doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you or something wrong with them. Sometimes these things take time, but we have to spend time with one another. That's the way we, we encourage one another's faith. And believe it or not, we need to preach the gospel to one another. We need to preach the gospel. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you still don't need to hear the gospel. We need to hear the gospel continually. The problem is we don't often understand what the gospel is, so I'm going to give you a definition of the gospel. Here's the definition of the gospel. I should have put this up on the the screen. Sorry I didn't do that. Through Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of God the Father is here. Repent and believe the good news. That's Jesus' definition. You can find it in Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Through the, Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom, which is God's loving rulership, the kingdom of God the Father is here. So, repent and have faith so that you enter that kingdom by grace through faith. That's what the gospel is. It's more than the idea that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And we try to reduce it that, to that sometimes. But it's more than that. The gospel is that God's loving rulership is here to transform the world right now, and it came through Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. And it comes in the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can participate in that kingdom and we can see the world change with this good news of Jesus Christ. There is power in this gospel and when we proclaim the reality of God's kingdom presence through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, things change, things happen and so we need to proclaim this gospel to one another we need to remind one another the kingdom of God is here right now it's around us right now and we are living in it and we are walking in it and we need to love in it and serve in it and participate till the whole world comes under God's loving rulership through faith in Jesus Christ and that's a gospel we need to proclaim to each other so we encourage one another's faith number three We receive, by faith, the power of God for salvation in this gospel. So by faith, the power of God comes on us. By faith, the power of God comes in our midst. And this power of God is present for salvation. And salvation here means more than getting your sins forgiven so you you get a ticket out of hell salvation is wholeness of life salvation is all the blessings and all the promises of God's gospel in Jesus Christ and so as we uh, we are here in order to live by faith, to walk by faith to be righteous, we have to receive by faith this power of God for salvation in the gospel, this power is a real force that operates with a marked effect on people It brings wholeness to people and transforms them. It's a source of energy so that we can live a qualitatively different life than the people in the world around us. And many times, we try to live powerless Christian lives because we're not extending our faith and we're not saying, God, by faith, I want to receive the power of God for salvation. I want to be able to live by that faith and walk by that faith, and love by that faith, by that power of God for salvation. And there's two challenges here. The first, we're not talking about some kind of blind trust here that is operating despite appearances. In other words, a lot of times, you know, where people who are deathly ill, they say, oh, I'm not sick. I'm not sick. As if somehow by denying the reality that somehow it makes it true or you know i'm going to be fine it's going to be okay and it's not going to be okay and and sometimes we just live with this idea that okay i've got faith but i'm not seeing anything change if you have faith things will change if things are not changing then your faith isn't in the right place if you're not experiencing transformation in your life you're not living by faith If you can't look back a year ago and say, you know, I see how I've improved over this past year by living by faith, if you can't do that, you're not living by faith. If you can't say, yes, I'm praying, you're not living by faith. And so if you're living by faith, there are results to that, there are definite consequences of that, and you will see it and you will know it. But there's the other challenge, or the other mistake that people make, and that is that we become too idealistic. I mean, one of the common things, the common idealistic distortions, is people who say, well, I'm a Christian, so I'm never going to suffer. Do you know how unbiblical that is? The promise of the Bible, every single book, of the New Testament promises us that we're going to suffer. It's one of the most repeated promises of God in all the scripture, that you're going to suffer. So when I'm suffering, do you know what? I know that the Bible is true because it's what the Bible promises. But I know the Bible also promises that I'm going to overcome if I live by faith. And I've seen this time and time in my life. It's why we press through so many times because we know by faith we're going to overcome. And we don't let suffering cause us to shrink back. We push forward in suffering. But what we don't do is have some kind of idealistic distortion. I mean, it's like some people, they get married and they think that the person they're going to wake up to is going to be a better person than the person they married. You know, or they think, oh, that thing that annoyed me while we're dating, it's not going to annoy me so much more. But I tell you, if it annoyed you while you were dating, it's going to be a lot worse after you get married. That's God's plan. It's God's design. You know, so we've got to kick out this idealism that is not based on a true knowledge of God and God's ways. Our faith is must be the faith in the power of God in the gospel, by faith that power that we receive must be based on the reality of what God says in the book. Absolutely essential. And one other way, one other way we live by faith, we need to receive by faith the ongoing revelation of God's righteousness in the gospel. Receive by faith the ongoing revelation Of God's righteousness from the Bible. Bible. What Paul is saying here in these last verses uh, is that if we are uh, in, in, in the gospel, God is constantly revealing to us his righteousness. Now, God's righteousness is not some kind of moral standard, it's not the Ten Commandments. Righteousness in the Bible, whether it's God's righteousness, or the righteousness that we live by, is always relational. Righteousness demands relationship. So if you say, okay, I'm going to, I, this person is really annoying me, so in order not to say something that's really bad and, and be insulting to them, I'm going to go by myself, I'm going to lock myself in my closet, and I'm going to avoid them. Do you know if you do that, that's sin. That's not righteousness. Righteousness requires relationship. And if you don't have relationship, by definition, you cannot have biblical righteousness. Now, first and foremost, that comes from God. So we get into a right relationship with God by faith in the gospel and God maintains us in that right relationship, and through that right relationship with Him, God makes us more like Him in terms of our character. That's God's design. He puts us in that right relationship with Him, and then we are called to live out of that right relationship with God into right relationship with one another. Now, how do we do that? We do it by faith. Because frankly, you know, there's a lot of times when I would rather run away from people than engage with them. There are a lot of times when I'd rather lock myself in my closet and do nothing. There are times when I'd rather not have relationship because sometimes it's hard and it's difficult, but we engage in relationship by faith. And if you don't have relationship, you don't have righteousness. It's something you have in your relationships as a social being. And so you have to live intentionally in relationship, especially with God and other Christians. And you do this by faith. And as you do this by faith in the gospel, God reveals to you more and more the righteousness. If you stop living in relationship, you will stop learning and getting the revelation of God's righteousness, and you will not be living by faith. Because the righteous live by faith. So if you refuse or fail to engage in the relationships, you violate righteousness, and that is an indicator that you do not have faith. The person who withdraws from the body of Christ does not have faith. The person who runs away from relationships with other Christians does not have faith. Faith draws you in to righteous relationship with God and for other people. And this gospel of God's righteousness is revealed beginning and ending in faith, from faith to faith. It starts in faith and it continues in faith so that you can say, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, we can't always determine when God is going to respond. We can't determine what God is going to do. We can't determine when the promises of God are going to be fulfilled. And sometimes it can seem like an interminably long time before God responds. I know this. I've lived it in my life. Things will not always be easy and we will not always understand what is happening to us. We might look at the world and see a mess and say, God, where are you in this? We might look at our lives and see a mess and say, God, where are you in this? And it's okay to take those questions to the Lord. It's okay to bring those complaints to the Lord. But as we wait for the fulfillment of his promises, which he promises, he guarantees will happen, we can live by faith. That is our call to do so. We can live by faith because those of us who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior have been empowered with faith. As we come into a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, we get to know who God is and therefore we can choose to trust and act on that basis and live by faith. And Jesus has made this all possible through his death and resurrection. In his life, death, and resurrection, the kingdom of God has come, and the power of the Holy Spirit, and we can be part of that kingdom. If you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, and I'm not talking about committing your life to Jesus Christ. There are a lot of people who commit their lives to Jesus Christ. And the thing about committing your life to Jesus, you can uncommit it. The thing about surrendering, you can't unsurrender. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as your leader and the forgiver of your sins because of what he's done on the cross and the empty tomb, then today is your day. I encourage you to do it. And you just pray and say, Lord Jesus, I come to you and I surrender my life to you. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for rising from the dead. Come fill me with your Holy Spirit. Lead me and forgive me of my sins so I can be your devoted follower. And a prayer like that, you pray it in your own words, you pray it in your own way. There's nothing magic about the prayer. It's all about the relationship. And if you surrender into that relationship, God will come in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he will change your life, and you will be born again. And that is the only way to live by faith. If you've never done it, do it now, in the quiet of your heart, and be sure to tell somebody after the service you've done it. And right now, if you're realizing, you know, Rod, some of the things you said to me, they're really connecting because I've not been living by faith. Maybe I've been withdrawing from relationship. Maybe I've forgotten to look at the global reality of our faith. Maybe I've just stopped encouraging other people and letting other people encourage me in my faith. Maybe I haven't really been asking God by faith, to have his power for salvation activated in my life. If you're in that place right now and you're a follower of Jesus, just go before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry I repent. I want to change my heart and my life in this area, and I surrender to you. Reveal your righteousness to me, faith to faith, and by faith I receive you again. And pray some prayer like that, the Lord will respond. Because I tell you, if we are going to get through this next season in global, in, in global Christianity, this next season, season of global reality, we are going to have to be living by faith. But praise God, he empowers us to do this. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, so much for the faith that you've given us so that we can live by faith. I pray, Father, that you'd stir up that faith within us, stir it up inside of us so that we can commit and surrender ourselves to you again fully and freely and let us see you move in power in our hearts, minds, and lives by your glory and praise. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.